The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Well, um, it is good to be back with you, uh, just in case. Uh, hi, my name is Grant, um, and uh, it's great to be here. I, I guess I've been gone a couple of weeks, and uh, it feels like forever, but you know what? You still look just as pretty as I remember. Uh, so anyway, but thank you for, uh, for letting me be gone for a couple of weeks. I had um, a great time this past Sunday. I was in Minneapolis at the Desire and God Conference, and um, I had a fantastic time. It was wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for the time away. Um, But now let's get to work. So uh, if you have children in here, you're probably used to it this time of year buying Halloween costumes, right? Um, Unless you're, you know, one of those people that you're like, we don't celebrate Halloween, we buy Bibles, right? Like, okay, that's you, whatever. But uh, we, at my house, we buy our kids Halloween costumes and my boys are really into superheroes right now. So when do you normally buy kids Halloween costumes? Like when is it, is that normal? Is that October, is that normal? Because we were like the first week in September. Like as soon as we saw them, we got them and they already have holes already in them. Like the, the stuffing's coming out of the muscles and, um, and that's what happened to me. But the stuffing is coming out of the muscles and like there's rips and tears all over it, right? And, and, and so they absolutely love it. And my boys love superheroes and they should love superheroes. Because superheroes are remarkable, right? They do incredible things. Their lives matter, right? They make a really big difference. They're, they're remarkable. And, you know, as you get older, our desire to be superheroes, that, that kind of goes away. The reason I say kind of is if I saw a red and blue spider, I would be very tempted to let it bite me, right? Like just for the, just for the chance to be Spider-Man. But that, that kind of goes away. But you know what doesn't go away? What doesn't go away is our desire for the remarkable, right? We want our our lives to be remarkable. We want our lives to matter. We want them to count. And, and most often in our culture, we reserve the idea that, that people are remarkable or people are going to count for the people in our lives that we call, we consider superheroes, right, in our culture. So like, like Mother Teresa would be a, a superhero or, 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 or heads of state or presidents or uh, maybe Billy Graham or famous pastors or, or people like that, right? Maybe even uh, uh, the, the heads of, of big industries like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. We consider those people superheroes. There's something remarkable about them. And so they've they've done what they've done. They've gotten where they are because they're remarkable. So now their lives are remarkable. They've made a really big impact. And we think that God won't do remarkable things through us because we don't consider ourselves remarkable, right? Like, like, you know what, God, I'm, I'm not the head of some fortune 500 company. I, I I didn't invent uh, a a new computer. I, I, I'm not the head of state. All right. Like I, I don't know how remarkable remarkable I am. So surely you can't do a lot in my life. But God is using, uh, wants to use your life in a remarkable way. And it's not determined uh, by your influence or your renown or how many Twitter followers you have. It's determined simply by your obedience. God does remarkable things in the lives of those who are obedient. Hebrews 11 lists some superheroes of the Bible. If, if If the Bible had superheroes, this would be the super friends right here, all right? This would be the just You've got Abel, you've got Enoch who didn't die, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, the old pregnant lady, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel. These are superheroes in our faith, right? Aren't they? And what's the one thing they have in common? It's not that they had some remarkable advantage over other people. What's the one thing they had in common according to Hebrews 11? Faith. They believed God 
They believed God would do what he said he would do, and so they obeyed, and God did remarkable things in their lives, right? And God wants to do remarkable, eternity-impacting things in your life. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter if you constantly beat yourself up. It doesn't matter if you compare yourself to everybody else out there, and you say, what do I have that other people don't? What can I do? What makes me remarkable? Uh, uh, God blesses the obedient. God does remarkable things through the obedient. So anybody in here who has the willingness to follow the Lord Jesus and obey what he says, God wants to do remarkable things through your life. And I want to talk to you today about somebody who probably by our estimation, by our culture's understanding, would be someone who would be deemed unremarkable. This would not be a superhero of the Bible, if you will. In fact, they're probably just a normal person, an ordinary person that a remarkable thing happened to. But I don't think that's the case. I think what we're going to see is that this remarkable event that happened in her life is not the most remarkable thing about her life, all right? So if you would, turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43. Uh, you can use your smartphones, follow along, whatever you got to do. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43. So today, and, and you've already, if you have your handout, you've already seen it, we're going to be looking at the remarkable legacy of Dorcas, right? Which is my favorite name in the Bible, right? Um, I really want to name our daughter that, but um, Angela just really vetoed it. She, saw it. she thought it would be a problem. I don't know why, because I would think that when guys start asking girls out at her age, Dorcas would be at the bottom of the list, right? So I thought this is going to work out really, really well for us, but she vetoed it. So anyway, the remarkable legacy of Dorcas, all right? Check it out. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43. Let's go. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Why didn't I go with Tabitha? Because Dorcas is way more fun to say, all right? She was full of good works and acts of charity. So uh, Joppa is one of the oldest seaports in the world. This is the, this is the port where when Jonah was running from the Lord and he got on a boat to run away from God's calling, he got on a boat in this port, right? The cedars of Lebanon that, that came in to build the temple, right? They came in through this port, all right? So, so this, is a, this is a really old seaport. Not only has it been used a lot, but, but now it's, it's, it's also a, a, a kind of a, a melting pot of people and cultures. It's a big deal. It's a big, big place, all right? So uh, this is where they are in, in, in Joppa. And Tabitha is her name in Aramaic. Dorcas is her name in Greek, all right? So that's why she has two names there. And she was known to be full of good works and acts of charity. We'll get back to that. So let's keep going. Verse 37. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her and laid her in an upper room, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. So Peter is about three hours away, all right? So she gets sick, she dies. They, they prepare her body for burial, put her in the upper room, and they go and they get Peter. And they said, you, you can't delay, you gotta get here. We're gonna bury her soon, you gotta get here. So he comes immediately and goes up where the body is. Let's keep reading. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with him. So the widows are there, and, and, and obviously Dorcas served them so genuinely and so in such an incredible way that they're devastated by her loss. So much so they don't know what to do, right? They're standing next to her body. They don't, they don't know what they're going to do without her. Incredible. Keep going in verse 40. 
But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. This is an incredibly similar, just a little aside, incredibly similar to Jesus' raising of, of Jairus' daughter. Um, when, when, when Jesus came to uh, Jairus' daughter, he cleared the room, except for a few disciples in the, in the family, right? Peter shows up, he clears the room. He's following Jesus' example. When Jesus took the girl by the hand, he said, uh, uh, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, rise. And Peter said, Tabitha Kumi, one consonant off, right, of what Jesus said. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Peter following Jesus' example so closely. So let's keep going. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So word spreads of the miracle, right? And many people turned to faith in the Lord. And Peter bolts out to uh, Simon the tanner's house by the sea, all right? So you're probably thinking, you know what? This is a bad example of somebody who is ordinary, all right? She is literally the walking dead, okay? Like, this is, a, this is remarkable, okay? She was brought from death to life. This is a big deal. She's not an ordinary person. So that's what makes her remarkable, right? Because she, she once was dead. Like, she's walking around. That's how she's going to introduce herself from now on. Hi, I'm Dorcas. I died before, right? Like, that's interesting. That's remarkable. But here's the thing. I don't think so. This is a remarkable thing that happened to her, absolutely, but I don't think that's what makes her life so remarkable, and, and that's what I want to look at today. So let me give you two remarkable observations about Dorcas in this passage. Number one, the description. Check out the description. If someone, uh, if something happened, right, like someone showed up here and some incredible thing happened and the news showed up and they wanted to talk about it and they grabbed you and they were going to interview you. Normally when you read a, a news article, it doesn't just say somebody's name. It doesn't just say like uh, John Latimer or whatever. It says John Latimer and gives a description, right? Like that's who saw this. This guy is this. He does this, whatever. I'm trying to give you some sort of context. And I don't know what they would say about me, but I, I have thought about that. Anybody thought about that? Like if the news were to put me in an article and they were going to give like a, a little blurb, a little description, just a real quick after my name description, what do I want them to say? And I've thought about it because I, I don't want it to be boring, but I also want it to be accurate. So like, for example, I don't want them to say, uh, Grant Nixon, father of four. I wanted to say Grant Nixon, father of many nations, right? Like, I, I think that's, it's accurate, but it's more interesting. Or like, I don't want to say Grant Nixon, uh, pastor at Christchurch Bartlett. I wanted to say Grant Nixon, counselor for Bartlett's criminally insane, right? Like, and I, not all of you, but most of you, right? And instead of like, Grant, he's, he's tall and thin. I wanted to say something like, he's built like an Olympic athlete from Kenya, right? Like, so it's accurate, it's accurate, but it's, it's more interesting. Here's the deal. Luke says Dorcas's name, and then he's got to say just something about her. Like, like, how can I describe her? And here's what he came up with. Here's what came to his mind. Here's, here's just what popped up. She was full of good works and acts of charity. That's remarkable, right? Like, like Luke has to, he's like, okay, I've got it. Okay, here we go. Uh, Dorcas, um, what, what about Dorcas? What comes to mind? Oh, she's full of good works and acts of charity. That's, re what a remarkable description that is. Full means abounding in. It means uh, completely occupied with. So she was overflowing with good works and acts of charity. When you thought of Dorcas, you thought of good works. So it's just an incredible indicator of her faith, isn't it? In James chapter two, it says, what 
good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the good things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So she's abounding in good works. So therefore, she's abounding in faith. What an incredible and remarkable testimony. When you thought of Dorcas, you thought of acts of charity. And acts of charity is basically meeting other people's needs, taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. And in other words, it's really loving your neighbor as yourself. You'd meet your needs, so you meet their needs, which by the way is the second greatest commandment. So kind of a big deal. So acts of charity is also an incredible indicator of her love for God. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So her description was pretty remarkable, right? It wasn't Dorcas, uh, a female disciple. It wasn't Dorcas, um, she, uh, uh, sometimes she, she, she served every now and then, or she did this over here, or, or uh, she was retired, or uh, she did all this. No, no, no. It was Dorcas. She's full of good works and acts of charity. Um, this, first, this first remarkable observation was her description. The second remarkable observation about her is the widow's response. Look at verse 39. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Widows in this culture were some of the poorest. In fact, this word here uh, uh, in Greek for widow would be used not only for, for literally un, uh, mar- or women whose husband had died, it could even be used to refer to just the incredibly impoverished. Like widows have become so aligned with poverty that when you thought widow, you thought of an impoverished person. And so uh, a, a lot of, and so, so that's who was there. That's who was in that culture. They were impoverished because their husband or they didn't have a husband. They didn't have children to provide for them in that culture. And, and, but here's the deal, Dorcas didn't overlook them. She took care of them. And that's remarkable obedience. James 1.27 says, Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. They were so impacted by her life. These people that everyone else overlooked, the, these people that everyone else just were like, ah, whatever, we'll give them our table scraps, right? She, she loved them so much. She served them so well that when she died, they're just standing next to her body. They don't know where to go. They're devastated and they don't know how else they're gonna have their needs met. That's how well she served them. They were like, you know what, even in, I'm devastated. I don't know what to do. And it goes beyond that. Check this out. They were weeping and showing their tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. At their, after her loss, they had tangible tokens of God's provision and love for them that Dorcas had made for them. Isn't that incredible? People build monuments to themselves all the time, right? I mean, probably most, most notably and, and easy to remember in our culture, like presidents, uh, they build uh, uh, libraries to themselves, right? Like the presidential library and it's named after them and it's for, you know, and, and it's supposed to have their uh, things about them and a biography and, and their memoirs and, and, and all this stuff. And here's what Dorcas left. Dorcas left a monument of God's love for these people. Isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that an incredible and remarkable thing? Through faith and obedience to God, after Dorcas is left, what's left behind her is not a life wasted, but there are literal tangible things that these ladies are are wearing and holding and saying, this is how God provided for me through her. This is what God did for me through her. What a remarkable life Dorcas lived. 
And because of that faith and obedience, God did some remarkable things through her. She's just a lady. She's not a superhero, right? It doesn't say like Dorcas, who was born into a very rich and wealthy family. Dorcas, who was uh, uh, bitten by a radioactive spider. And you know what I mean? It doesn't say any of that. She's a normal person, but through her remarkable faith and obedience, God did remarkable things through her life. Number one, he provided for people through Dorcas. The widows couldn't have provided for themselves. How incredible is it to know that you're a part of God's promised provision for somebody else? Isn't that an incredible thing to know? That when you provide for somebody else, you are a part of God's promise to them coming true. Isn't that phenomenal? And that's what she did. Just through her obedience, God provided for other people. So when you go, when you show up here and you serve on Saturdays with us, with the, our feeding ministry, when, when you bring in school supplies, when you pay for somebody's meal, when you sponsor a child, when you sponsor a missionary, you are a part of God's provision for them. Isn't that incredible? Like God's promise to provide for them is, is, is happening. It's coming alive. It's coming true through your actions. That's remarkable what God will do to our obedience. He inspired believers. Have you ever uh, heard of the Dorcas Society? This is a group of people that, that usually meet to provide clothing and other necessities to the poor, to those that are overlooked. These societies still exist today still exist today. You can find them today in churches all over our country and really all over our world. Do you know how far you can trace them back to the first century? That's how far you can trace back these Dorcas societies. They've been going that long. So check this out. God used her example to inspire, uh, to inspire other believers to love people more through thousands of years. Isn't that remarkable? An ordinary lady. She was just being obedient to God. And God took her obedience and inspired other believers, countless believers, to love more for thousands of years. God inspired believers. Remarkable. He also brought people to himself. The miracle of her resurrection accomplished so much in part because of her testimony of her life. For example, if she hadn't impacted anybody, if she hadn't made a difference serving all kinds of people, then her being resurrected, like they'd go, Dorcas, who is that? Hang on, who is that? I don't know, like, is that, is that made up, right? Like, that can't be a real name, Dorcas, right? Like, it just really happened. It wouldn't have made an impact. Or, or if her testimony was one of, uh, of corruption, if she wasn't known to be a person of integrity, if she wasn't known to be an honest person, then you know what? They might hear it and go, yeah, but she's a liar. She has a lot to gain to walk around and tell people that she was once dead, now she's alive, right? So, so this really doesn't matter. But through her obedience and her faith, he brought people to himself. So three remarkable things God accomplished through the ordinary Dorcas, provided for people, inspired believers to love more, brought people from death to life. This is a remarkable life. And as I read this in Acts, the, the thing that kept going through my brain was one thing. How can I live more like Dorcas, right? How can I be more like her. And I don't think that's a bad question, by the way. Some of you are like, no, we should ask, how can we be more like Jesus? Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. To be more like Dorcas, to be full of good works and to be full of acts of charity, that is to be like Jesus, isn't it? So when, he, when I ask that question, I want to be like Dorcas, how can I be like Dorcas? That's, in essence, I'm asking, how can I be more like Jesus? How can I be full of good works? How can I be full of acts of charity? So how can we live more like this? Well, I'm a, a, a rather simple person. 
Um, and, and what I mean is like in here, in my brain, right? And so I, I need things to be simple. I like things to be uh, something I can wrap my head around, something I can grab onto, something I can chew on. Um, and so I, I was asking the Lord for something that would be helpful and easy to remember for us as we try to live lives full of good works and acts of charity like Dorcas. And so here's the question that, that, that I've come up with that I hope is helpful, that I hope is from the Lord. So here's a question that's a simple prayer to ask God in almost any and every circumstance. When you're at work, when you're at home, when you're in church, when you're faced with an intense need of somebody else, when you're faced with a daily difficulty somebody else is dealing with, ask this question of yourself, all right? Or ask this question of the Lord, excuse me. Pray this, this question to the Lord. What would you have me do here? Ask that question. What would you have me do here? Let's break this question down, all right? So what would you have me do? The first focus of the prayer is our motivation, which is what? the Lord's fame. That's our motivation. It's all about the Lord's fame. This is an admission that whatever action I take, I want to start by saying, I want it to be about you. I want it to honor you. I, I don't want to usurp you. I don't, want to, I don't want to point fingers at me. I don't want the spotlight on me. God, what would you have me do here, right? And this comes from Colossians 3, 23 through 24, which says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we ask, what would you have me do here? What do you want me to, to do? Because I serve you mainly. I wanna serve your fame mainly. We don't serve our fame. And, and that's probably the biggest obstacle when it comes to, to serving the Lord um, is that we don't want to serve his fame. We naturally want to serve our own fame. That, like that's a natural thing for us to want the credit, for, for us to want the pat on the back, right? That's a normal and natural thing. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, yesterday, um, my daughter did her favorite game, which is uh, dirty the room up, right? Like that's her thing, right? Like what can, what can I turn over and spill on the floor and laugh at you and walk away? Like that's her thing. So she took this uh, thing of Legos, or as I like to call them, carpet mines, and she dumps it out, right? And, and it's everywhere. And I was like, Piper Grace, pick it up. And she was like, no. And she walked off. And I was like, what can I, if that was my boy, I'd be, but my little princess, right? So anyway, so she like walks off and I was like, come back over here, try to pick him up. So she's screaming and freaking out. So I say, Max, look, come over here and help your sister and pick up all of these Legos. So she sits there and screams and cries or whatever. And then Max is like, you know what? If she's gonna do that, I'm gonna cry too. So then he starts flipping out. So eventually it takes the good parent, which is my wife, to show up, right? And so she comes over, she sits down on the floor with them and she starts helping Max pick up the Legos, right? And the whole time he's just, oh, I don't wanna do this. This isn't fun. And so he's picking up the Legos. My wife is picking up probably five to every one Lego Max picks up, right? So they, they pick up the Legos. Legos. And so then Max runs over to me immediately. And he's like, I picked up all the Legos. Are you proud of me? And I was like, I don't think that's true. Uh, did your mommy help? And he goes, well, yeah, but not that much, right? Like his natural inclination was to get the credit. His natural inclination was to say, I, pat me on the back. I did a good job. I did most of the work. It didn't matter what the truth was, right? Like that was naturally what came out of him. And, and you know what? That's for us too. Even when, we, even when we have opportunities to serve, almost always there's something that comes up. There's some question, there's some motivation probably that pops up maybe in the back of your head that's like, and maybe you don't ask it explicitly. Maybe it's implicitly, but you have that thought of, What's it gonna do for me, right? 
We all do that because naturally what? We serve our fame. But look at what Dorcas did. She went out and she served widows. It's not gonna get her famous. You know, like that's the equivalent of going out and finding a homeless that, that people have completely forgotten about and serving them. Like no one's watching you, right? You're not gonna get your own talk show that way, right? Like you're not gonna get a million uh, Twitter followers that way, right? Like that's not gonna do anything for you. But Dorcas did that because it wasn't about her fame. So I think a good question to ask ourselves if we wanna be more like Dorcas, if we wanna serve the Lord's fame and not our own is, where are you serving where others can't give back to you? Where are you serving where others can't give back to you? Because we can serve and get stuff back, right? We can get fame. We can get that pat on the back we love. We can get, uh, we, we can even get repaid for it, right? Um, like one of my favorite times a year, like one of the times we probably get the most done around the church is when students have to have their like, uh, their service hours into their school. It's fantastic, right? Like they show up and they're like, I'll do anything. And I'm like, awesome. Um, my grass is like this high. You can, you know, you can come mow it. And they're like, that has nothing to do with the church. Do you want the signature? Right? Like, I, I love it, right? But, but why are they serving? For themselves, right? And so ask yourself that question. Where are you serving where others can't give back to you? Maybe a better question to ask yourself is the one that, that Florence Nightingale, the founder of, of Modern Nursing, who went to the, the wars of Crimea just to help, just to volunteer to, to save lives out there. She wrote this. God called me in the morning and asked me, Ask me, would I do good for him alone without reputation, right? So our question starts with what, God, what do you want me to do? Because why? He's our master. That's where the question should start. He's our master. First Corinthians 6.20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So Dorcas's main thought in Joppa was, what would my master have me do? So for point of, uh, uh, for point of emphasis, maybe we should ask, what would you, my master, have me do here, right? So keep that in mind. We serve our master. The second thing, let's focus on the me. What would you have me do here? So we're going to focus, our, 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 our focus on this question is going to shift from our motivation, which is the Lord's fame, and now shift to action. What do you want me to do? All right, what do I need to do here? And this is where we can lose our nerve to act, isn't it? Because once we start to look at ourselves, we immediately see our inadequacies more than anybody else. Isn't that true? You know your weaknesses better than anybody else knows them. Isn't that true? And some of you are like, no, I had brothers and sisters. They knew them pretty well. Yeah, but nobody knows them like you know them. For example, if we were to take a group picture, if I were to get all of you up here and we we're gonna take a, a nice group picture and I handed it to you, where would your eyes go? Go to that dark spot on your front tooth that no one else notices, but you do. You know what I mean? Where would it go? It'd go to where your, your hair part's weird. You know what I mean? Like it would go straight there, isn't it? If you took a picture from Google Earth of, of, of the state of Tennessee from space and handed it to my wife, she would find where her hair looked weird, right? Like she would say, I would say, Angel, that's, not, that's the entire state. You can't see it. And she's like, look, see that really dark green patch in the bottom third quadrant? There I am. And look at my bangs, right? Like it would be something like that because no one knows our inadequacies better than we do. So when God calls us to do something, what's the first thing we do? We make excuses. We say, God, I know my inadequacies, right? That's what Moses did. God calls Moses to deliver God's people and he goes, but uh, I don't know if you got the right guy. And just all, just a myriad of excuses come out of him. And guess what? What does Moses say? Or what does God say? God says, well, set in your hand. And Moses is like, okay, well, you're changing the subject. Uh, this is a staff. And so what does he do? 
He caused him to, to throw it down on the ground. It becomes a serpent. He calls Moses to, to grab the tail end. He grabs the tail end and becomes a staff again. And what does God do with that staff? He makes it a symbol. He makes it a symbol of God's divine power in Moses' hand. Moses comes to God and says, I have nothing. And God says, what? You have everything. You have me, right? He says, I'll use what you have. What is that? A staff? No, it's a symbol of my divine power now. Isn't that incredible? And the same thing probably happened to Dorcas where she's probably looking around. She sees all these needs. She goes, God, what can I do? I, I don't have anything. And God says, what is that in your hand? And she says, a needle and thread. And he says, I'm going to take that needle and thread. I'm going to make it a symbol for my love and my compassion and my affection for people through, for thousands of years. Isn't that phenomenal? That's phenomenal. So we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing with us. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, We're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not that all of a sudden his work is falling through the cracks, and he's like, oh, you, I'll use you. No, no, no. God prepared you for these good works in advance. In advance of what? Everything, right? From before was before was before, God had prepared you for the good works that you should walk in them. Isn't that incredible? God knows what he's doing when he calls us to do this work. So we should ask, God, what would you have me do here? That me includes everything in your life. It's not selective, all right? You can't say, God, what would you have my wallet do here because I'm not giving you my time, right? No, no, no. What would you have me? It's all inclusive. It's everything. Me includes your resources, which another obstacle, again, is comparison. You might say, God, okay, look, I know, I've, yeah, okay, I've got some money, and this person needs something, but God, I don't have a lot of money. Other people have a lot of money. What, what could I possibly do? Would you get over that? Would you forget that? God took a Happy Meal and fed thousands of people, all right? Like, don't worry about that. What you have is not what's important. It's your obedience that's important. Me includes your talents and your gifts. And again, our obstacle is still comparison. God, I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a good teacher, okay? Like, I, I'm not... I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the best here. I gotta, I, I'm not gonna be able to, to do much. I'm not gonna make a big impact. And 1 Corinthians 12, 17 says, if the whole body, talking about the body of Christ, which we make up, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? There is no appendix in the body of Christ. Every piece matters. Every piece does something incredible and remarkable. Why? Because every piece can serve the kingdom, and all kingdom work is remarkable. In, in, uh, I've used this illustration before, but in March of 1981, Ronald Reagan was shot, and he was hospitalized for weeks and weeks. What happened to the country? It kept going, right? People got up, they ate breakfast, they went to work. They came home, they fell asleep, right? Like people got up, they went to school, they did, they did all they had to do. People bought houses, they bought cars, they sold houses, they sold cars. Life went on, right? And you think like, that's the, that's the president, he's super important. What would happen if all of a sudden across America, all of, our, all of the garbage collectors just decided, you know what, three weeks, we're off. No more garbage collection for three weeks. What would happen, Right? I wouldn't leave my house, right? Like, I'm not, uh-uh. All the garbage we produce, right? You know how many diapers would be outside of my house? It'd be incredible. I don't know. I could charge admission. But anyway, like, like it would shut down our country. Why? You go, well, who's more important, the garbage collector or the president? They both are. They both are. And in the body of Christ, 
All of us can do remarkable work because we're doing kingdom work, right? Every part of the body of Christ is remarkably valuable because every part serves his remarkable purposes. So thirdly, me also includes your personal circumstances. Maybe your family. Dorcas is probably single. We're not sure. We don't know. But she was probably single. We see that the people standing beside her bed are not family, but what? They're widows, the people she serves. So she looked at her life and she said, you know what? Uh, I, I'm single. How can I use my, my freedom of time to influence other people and to serve God better? I have a family. And so that factors into when I ask God, what do you want me to do? A lot of times I'm asking the Lord, what do you want my family to do? right? So our personal circumstances are included. Even your illnesses are included in your personal circumstances. Dorcas, you know how many times Dorcas died? Twice. She died twice. She got sick really bad twice and died twice, right? So even in that, you may be suffering with an illness and you may be, may be suffering in, uh, with some sort of sickness. And you know what? That's included in the me. That's when you turn to God and you say, God, okay, you know what? I'm not going to excuse myself from your work, but I'm going to ask you, how do you want me, as sick as I am with this illness, to honor you? Florence Nightingale, again, is a great example. From 1857 onwards, she was uh, intermittently bedridden and she, had, and she suffered from depression. During her bedridden years, during her bedridden years, she did pioneering work in the field of hospital planning. She mentored Linda Richards, which is considered America's first uh, nurse, and who, who also sh- showed up here in America and then started all kinds of nursing schools. And she advised the union on field medicine during the Civil War while she was ill, while she was bedridden, while she suffered depression. So here's what she said. She said, okay, God, what would you have me, sick and depressed Florence, do here, Right? Me includes everything. Nothing's off limits in the me question. Lastly, what would you have me do here? Focus on the here. So last part of the question, it moves from action to the object. What do you want me to do in this particular circumstance? And Dorcas is a great example of this. Her name Dorcas implies that she was a a Hellenist, right? That means that she was a Jewish uh, who lived among the Greeks. So she spoke the Greek language. And instead of rejecting this this context that was around her, that was different than probably how she was raised, what did she do? She embraced it. And she said, how can I serve here? And I think a lot of times that's difficult for us to just look at where we are and do something about it. It's difficult for us. Why? Because we're always looking ahead. You might not be a planner, but that doesn't mean you're not a dreamer. You're always looking ahead, right? Maybe you're looking ahead and you're looking forward to the neighborhood you want to live in, right? We're working towards that. Maybe you're looking forward and you're focusing on the job you're going to have soon or you want to have soon or you think about the next season of your life. And when we do that, we, we tend to miss out on the opportunities God has for us right now, right? He's saying, I placed you here and now for a reason. And, and Dorcas, she, she looked around and she said, okay, this is where I am right now. She didn't say, this is where I want to be. She said, this is where I am. I'm going to do something right here. So she looked around and saw a port city full of widows, which is incredibly common there. And she didn't see a city full of widows and go, oh, look at all these widows. I really want to do youth ministry. That's what I want to do, right? How can I go find youth ministry? No, she looked around, saw widows, and she said, I can do something about this. This is where I'm going to serve. How many of us are ignoring needs out of our preferences and therefore missing God's blessing for us? I'll give you a, a confession. Can I confess here? Is this a safe place? I'm going to confess to you real quick. Every year when VBS comes up on my calendar, it is a, it's a rough thing for me to look at. It's just not my thing. VBS is just not my thing. Like, it's one of those things I look at. I don't have the, the kid voice. I'm not good with the kid voice. You know, you know what I'm talking about. When, like, when like, kids show up and an adult is, like, talking, and then the kid walks up, and they're like, yeah, so I don't know, buy, sell, stock. Oh, hey! 
right? Like I don't, I don't do that, right? I don't do that. I don't, you know, I don't like to turn off my sarcasm with kids and it just it's, gets weird, all right? Like it's just, it's not my thing. But you know what? Every time I get in the middle of serving God in that ministry, that, that ultimately, I, I'll be honest, it makes me uncomfortable at times. Every time, God does incredible things. He does remarkable things and for me and, to, and for my joy as well as his glory. What could God have for you in the nursery that scares you to death? What could God have for you in the student ministry or in the college ministry or the women's ministry or the music ministry? What could God have for you on Saturdays in the help group, on Jackson Avenue, on Sundays? What could God have for you if you went out and you met your neighbor's needs or you met that need at work that you know about? What could God have for you that your fear or your preference is keeping you from, right? What could God possibly do through you? There's so much to learn through your life, but I wanna close by focusing on two things we can learn from her death. One, Her death seemed incredibly untimely because of the work she was doing, but it showed us that death is never outside of God's control. Ultimately, a lot of times when people die, especially people who are active in serving the Lord and impacting so many lives, we think this is untimely, especially because of the work that they're doing. That's exactly what happened here. The widow showed up and they're like, no, no, she provided for us. Who's gonna provide for us now? And yet what? God had an incredible thing he was gonna do. He's gonna raise her back to life. He's gonna do an incredible thing through her death, right? I'm sure if she was on her deathbed, I'm sure her prayers were not, hey God, uh, let's just end this. Let's get this over with. I'm ready for resurrection. No, she's saying, God, please, no, no, no. I have more to do, right? But what? God is in control of that. I think that's so difficult, especially when we're talking about deaths of saints. Because when, when our saints die, you know what I'm talking about? When brothers and sisters die here serving the Lord, that's a heavy blow. Because the ones who are really serving the Lord, they leave a hole behind. And sometimes it's hard to trust God and go, God, what are you doing? Why her? Why him, right? And if we're honest, we'd say, why not him, right? You know what I mean? But why her? Why him? All the good they were doing. But do you think the second time Dorcas died, the widow showed up and God didn't provide for them? Our death does not negate God's promises to others. Not at all. So we need to remember that. I think we learned that from Dorcas's life, that death is never outside of God's control. It always serves his purposes. And secondly, and this is really important, this is where I wanna end on. We should die well. The first time she died, she died needle in hand. I don't mean that literally. I don't mean that she was like sitting there and just, right? I don't mean that. But here's what I mean. She was honoring God so much with the latter years of her life there, with the latter moments of her life there, that when she died, there were people with needs she was currently meeting that showed up. She was busy at work up until the Lord called her away. And that's an incredible testimony. I want to die needle in hand. Philippians 1, 21 through 22 says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul said, as long as I have breath in my lungs, fruitful labor for me. And you know, we have a culture that teaches you to kick up your feet and and retire and have vacation. Christians don't retire from good works and charitable deeds. Never do we retire from that. Never is it our time off, right? I've I've heard brothers and sisters say, you know what? I've served my time in the nursery. It's somebody else's turn now. I've heard people say things like that. And you know what? We never have time off. What are you talking about? The Lord always has work for us to do. And we should strive for fruitful labor. We should say, if I'm gonna live, 
You know what? I'm blind. But if I'm going to live blind, then it's fruitful labor for me. You know what? I'm in a wheelchair. But if I'm in a wheelchair, it's fruitful labor for me. If I'm unemployed. But you know what? It's fruitful labor for me. It doesn't matter. We should strive to live our lives until the last second working for the glory of God. Because you know what? When we pass into glory, guess what we're going to do? We're going to work more for the glory of God because it doesn't end. We're going to keep working. I want to walk into heaven with calloused hands and a wearied brow serving the glory of God than with manicured nails and a sunburned brow, right? Never kick up your feet. Never let it go. We serve. If we're going to live if we're going to be like Dorcas, if we're going to be full of charitable works, if we're going to be full of good works and charitable deeds, then we will always live with fruitful labor in mind. We never retire from that, from serving the Lord. So I want to close with this. I, I want to be like Dorcas. Anybody? Hands raised. Anybody? Come on. I want to be like her. Absolutely. When God calls me home, I want to leave behind all kinds of tunics, all kinds of of monuments and tangible uh, things that people can look at and see God's amazing provision and amazing love and amazing grace all over. I want to have that legacy. I want to leave that remarkable legacy. And we all have that potential because it's not about us. It's about being obedient to God and letting God do remarkable things in our lives. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the opportunity to learn something from um, our sister Dorcas. What an incredible thing you've done. What an incredible thing to take somebody just ordinary and do something remarkable because of her faith and obedience. God, would my brothers and sisters in here long for a remarkable life, not for their fame, but for your fame. And Lord, would we be obedient where you've called us to be obedient? And Lord, there's probably some in this room that they're not my brothers and sisters. Sure, they know about Jesus. Sure, they've been at church. But Lord, they don't live a life of sacrifice following you. They don't live a life saying, you know what, God, what you want matters most. You're not their master. If they're honest, you're not their master. Would those people in this room right now realize that you can be? That them continue to live this way, that's gonna end really badly. That leads to death. That leads to hell. That leads to separation from you. But God, if they would turn now, if they would ask you to forgive them, if they would ask you to be the master of their life, your word says that you will, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So God, would you give them the courage to call upon your name right now in their seats, to ask for your forgiveness right now in their own words, in the quietness of their hearts, and surrender their lives to you. Lord, can we close and respond in a way that honors you? We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me tell you what we're going to do. I know we're running a little late today, but that's okay. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing. And we're going to respond to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, respond however you need to. If you need to pray where you are, if you need to kneel where you are, if you need to lay down in front of the Lord, if you want to make these steps an altar, if you want to pray with me, Brother John, whatever, you respond to the Lord however you need to in this time. Respond to his kindness. Respond to his call to a remarkable life. For those of you in this room who Jesus hasn't been your master and you need to surrender your life, I'll be right here. 
Brother John will be right here. Walking this aisle doesn't save you. This isn't some magical salvation aisle. It's just weird looking carpet. You know what saves you? The attitude of your heart. Stepping out and saying, God, no more. No more. I'm following you. I'm going to go up front. I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find out how do I follow you. So you do that. So you respond however you want. Let's stand and let's sing together.